0: Who was that masked man? We'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guests and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact checking and corrections are encouraged. This episode is brought to you by FunWise Capital. FunWise Capital is a business lender matching platform avoid the mystery of one-sided deals connect with funwise to get the very best funding you can qualify for fast you can apply online in 60 seconds or less and there's no effect to your credit to see how much you can get it's easy Use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business. You did hear me correctly. I did say start or grow your business. You don't have a business yet, but you got a solid business plan They can help you get funding. Get the best funding you can qualify for. Their strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months. Unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding, and bridge loans. They work with real estate, startups like I already mentioned, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started, it's really easy. Just go to apply.funwise.com slash mindog. That's apply.funwise.com slash mindog. Get money for your business now fly.funwise.com slash mind dog
1: is everybody ready for the mind dog let's give a show
0: oh, one of us is Welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Nappo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always. Am I talking a little fast? <laughs> uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, uh, we're going to talk to another author, yet another author, uh, an author of historical fiction, uh, and one that it is based the latest book, anyway, is based on uh, classic radio days, which you know I'm a big fan of. I'm also a big fan of Westerns. So uh, the subject matter is one that I am very interested in. Stephen G. Iwano, <laughs> I've been practicing that for at least a, uh, two minutes now, uh, is the author of two historical novels, Rook and Yester Year launched just yesterday, uh, and he's been on a whirlwind media tour, and I'm the one who's complaining that I'm tired. Uh, I, looking at the schedule that he's been uh, promoting this book on, Makes me tired just looking at it, and I'm the one complaining. Uh, it, it coincides with the 90th anniversary of the Lone Ranger's radio debut, and the book is about uh, the backstory of the Lone Ranger and, and has a lot of uh, historical fact in it mixed with some really intriguing fiction. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Stephen G. Iwanu. <laughs> Stephen, welcome.
2: You did a great job with the name. <laughs>
0: Well, I don't usually, but thank you for being here. As I mentioned, you've been on a uh, whirlwind media tour promoting the book that just launched yesterday. Uh, you must be exhausted and tired of answering the same old questions.
2: <laughs> no, it's been a lot of fun. Um, everyone's been great, and everyone's uh, kind of intrigued by the book just because it's it's so different Um in its subject matter, I guess.
0: It, it is. Uh, now, The Lone Ranger, you, in this thing you have uh, things about the uh, plot to kill FDR. I don't know if that was real or not. Uh, it, it, f- with My problem with historical fiction, and I say this every time we have somebody who writes historical fiction, is I have a tough time discerning what's fiction and what's reality. And sometimes that could get me into trouble because I will argue <laughs> that it's all uh, truth in, in nonfiction and then that, that will get me in, in trouble uh so is that part of it a real the uh attempt to assassinate fdr
2: uh, no that one's not true
0: <laughs> see <laughs> i would have
2: <laughs> <laughs> what happened i was doing the research for the book and i was reading a lot of newspapers from that time period just to get into the the feel of the era and you never know what you're going to stumble across and i stumbled across an article when fdr came to buffalo in 1932 when he was running for um, president as for his first term and in the article they laid out his entire route that he was going to be taking when he was going to be at the hotel you know when he was going to be at the hall and it just you know that certainly wouldn't have happened today with with the times that we live in uh, and i just thought that was so fascinating but it was right there in the you know the buffalo news buffalo evening news and so i incorporated that trip to buffalo um but then i threw in the assassination attempt
0: interesting so uh it sounds like you were in the lot li- because i don't think you'd find that uh buffalo evening news articles online or maybe you did but it sounds like you're doing a lot of microfilm research and, and things like that uh yeah
2: it- getting la- getting nauseous and the microfiche machine at the buffalo
0: central library <laughs> very cool is that where you're located in buffalo
2: I am located in Buffalo, New York, and the setting of my two historical novels, Rook and Yesteryear, also are set here.
0: Oh, very cool! Uh, now, but I was under the impression, and may I, this is like I could have wrong, is that Lone Ranger started as a radio show in Detroit, not Buffalo, right? Or... Well, you're you're almost right.
2: Fran Striker, Fran who was the writer and the creator of the Lone Ranger, was um, a Buffalo. A Buffalo writer, and he worked at WEBR Radio here in town, which is still on the air today. And he was a, a scriptwriter, a radio scriptwriter. And as you know, back in the day, uh, in the 1930s, the radio stations had their live dramas and comedy on the air, their own orchestras, their own actors and actresses, and their own writing talent. And so Fran was a scriptwriter, but he had to support about a dozen families that lost everything during the Depression. So as a side hustle, he was sending out scripts that had already aired on WEBR and was selling them to other radio stations across the country to wow. make a few extra bucks. Um, so, and he would you know, charge anywhere between 2 and $7 a script. And one of the stations that was buying his material was WXYZ in Detroit, owned by a man named George W. Trendle. And uh, by the end of 1932, Trendle was buying three or four scripts a week from Stryker. um, And he, I almost said email. <laughs> he sent him a, a telegram. <laughs> I am tired. Uh, he sent him a telegram saying, hey, can you write us a Western, you know, and put in all the hokum. That was the word he used, hokum, Hocum. which is a great word. I want to bring it
0: back. Yeah, um, I, I, I want to start using it, too. That's a cool <laughs> word. I like it.
2: But and, to that, and then he said, all the hokum, um, <laughs> mass riders, girl tied to railroad tracks you know, two gun bank robbers. Can you do that? And Stryker said, sure. And he went to his file cabinet and he pulled out a script that he wrote two years earlier. Um, It was a series that was airing in Buffalo called Covered Wagon Days. And he, for whatever reason, he chose episode number 10 um, and he repurposed it and rewrote it and got feedback from Trendle and the folks at WXYZ and came up with the Lone Ranger character. And the Lone Ranger, uh, as you said in the intro, premiered 90 years ago this year, but the premiere was in Buffalo. They did a little test run at WEBR before it moved to Detroit and WXYZ, where it was all through its its radio um, life.
0: Well, I, well you got to uh, admire the entrepreneurial spirit there of Fran Stryker, but I don't think you could ever get away with that. He was like a one-man syndication in on his own without really... Uh, looking into the legalities of all that kind of stuff because I don't think you can get away with that anymore. Like just selling scripts, you would already run someplace and resell Prob- the purposes. Yeah,
2: probably yeah. not. But you know, but think of what like when streaming uh, movies and TV started, and everyone was starved for content. That's the same thing that was happening in with radio in those early days, right? They needed something to fill the ta- the time, right. um, and so they were turning to guys like Stryker for content. But remember, this is 1932, right? So uh, no copying machines, uh, no computers. So he's typing these scripts um, on a typewriter, manual typewriter, obviously, in carbon paper. And he's trying to strike the keys as hard as he can. So maybe he can get two or three copies you know, <laughs> off of one carbon so he can send it out to two or three radio stations at a time. Um, wow. trying to sell these scripts so he was wow. under a lot of financial pressure and you, you got to do what you got to do
0: i wonder if any of those uh recordings are available from different stations of the same exact script did you find out uh any of that in your research
2: oh that's interesting i didn't look into it um but that would be that would be interesting to um, come do a little side by side comparison, right? Different actors,
0: lady. different commercials. Sure, uh, yeah, all, all that'd be of fun.
2: Yeah. that. They might be the next book.
0: Huh. Um, so before I, because I want to get into this uh, uh, idea of the Lone Ranger and where he got it from, and I'm sure you came across that in your uh, research, but what was the impetus for you i mean were you a, a all-time radio fan have you been like uh, uh is that something that you were been exposed to
2: yeah i i uh grew up um listening to um the, the mystery theater on radio with eg
0: marshall was the host wow um, and you don't know, look old enough for that. Maybe I missed something here. But yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> well, that was well, it was, I was you know in the, in the 70s, that was still wow. on the air, yeah. Wow. And so I used to fall asleep listening to uh the Mystery Theater, uh, and then of course, Dr. Demento. <laughs> right, um, yeah. And you know, I always loved old movies, and then also in the 70s, on um, on albums, they started releasing some of the old radio shows. on – on 33 and a third albums and i I collect i bought a few um and i still have them they're hanging up in my office on the wall now but it was like uh, you know Bogart and Bacall and Tohan right. and have the not. Shadow,
0: all those, yeah, all those scripts. Yeah. I love that stuff. We were talking about Orson Welles uh, stuff the other day, and and how he got, he became a star in radio, and that, it it was a different time where radio was, uh, as you say, it was the you know the Netflix of today. Uh, And it was all the rage and and so, and it was a family thing where families gathered around a radio in the living room. Fascinating time. Uh, So, so that's, that's uh, was an interest of you. What made you decide to write the book? Where'd the idea to write this book come from? Well, as I said, I'm, I'm
2: from Buffalo. I'm a Buffalo based writer and I can't remember if I was at a bar or a party, but somebody had mentioned that the man who wrote and created the Lone Ranger was from Buffalo. And wow. I said, absolutely not. <laughs> I would have known that, right? Um, Buffalo is very good about promoting um, the creative people who are from here or who had spent time here. And I would have heard if that was true. So of course, I immediately whipped out my phone and Googled it. And I found out that not only was I wrong, uh, Fran Stryker was from Buffalo, um, but he lived in my neighborhood. <laughs> wow! Um, he, he went to high school like two blocks from where I was living. wrote the lone ranger scripts just north of me um he was a neighborhood guy and i had never heard of him and i I couldn't figure that out so i was kind of asking around i said have you ever heard of fran striker and people would say no who's that and i had had a friend who was a school nurse at, at lafayette high school where he went and i said is there like a plaque by the office or the stage you know about Franz Stryker. And she goes, no, who's that? No one seemed to know his name. And so I dug a little bit deeper. And I think the reason why he's not a household name, because not only did he create the Lone Ranger, but he also created um, the Green Hornet and Sergeant Preston of the Yukon. I mean, he had a huge influence on radio and 20th century pop culture. And nobody really knows his name. Um, And I think it was because um, he sold the rights to the Lone Ranger for $10 to George W. Trendle owner of WXYZ, before the Lone Ranger, you know, exploded and became a money-making machine. And then to make matters worse, Trendle started claiming in the 1940s that he was the one that created the Lone Ranger. Um, and there was even a story going around that Stryker didn't even join the team at WXYZ until after the Ranger had been on the air. Um, wow. And and Stryker was a very... Um, gracious man um and he never contradicted or argued with with that story and unfortunately he passed away in the early 60s and never got a chance to write his autobiography autobiography and i I think that's why his name's kind of gotten lost to the everyday person he is in the national broadcasting hall of fame and the buffalo uh hall of fame broadcasters hall of fame um but the common person maybe enough years has gone by that he's kind of gotten forgotten
0: I think if and I could be wrong about this, but I think uh airport the guys who wrote the movie airport airplane airplane uh yeah. Fran Stryker striker is in that is one of the characters' names it's, in the,
2: oh it's uh, really interesting yeah well as soon as
0: uh, yeah i i I'm pretty sure that's the and i i think it's a nod. Him. okay now, yeah absolutely I, I knew about for some reason i did know the name Franz Stryker with a connection to the lone ranger uh and this is what i want did, did you uncover the roots of the lone ranger story where he got it from
2: not specifically part of my novel is my imagination right. taking over how he came up with it um, but in real life I didn't come across anything like that. And Uh-oh. again, I said he died prematurely. He didn't get a chance to write his autobiography. So um, that secret was taken to his grave. I did come across um, some books, an article that point to um, a real life figure from the old West.
0: Ba- Bass Reeves.
2: Bass Reeves. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, he was a, a runaway slave. Um, legend has it. He stole a Confederate, horse uh, from the confederate army and rode out to the oklahoma territory and once the um emancipation proclamation was announced uh he became a u.s marshal and he rode a big white horse and he liked to throw silver dollars instead of silver bullets
0: he and sometimes he had- He had a Native Indian. uh, Well, the mass thing is uh, there's this conjecture that who was it? It was just because of his black face. (laughs) Maybe, yeah. Um, But yeah, he he had an Indian companion too. I don't know if his name was Tonto or not. But yeah, a lot of that matches up Fort Smith, Arkansas. Bass Reeves. I was just wondering if that was uncovered in your research, was with him knowing that story or digging in and really finding out about it, because there's so much of that. Listen, history is being rewritten all the time. And you don't right. know what to believe and what not to believe. But the best Reeve story always th- sticks with me. Uh- yeah, absolutely.
2: And uh, like I said, I didn't find anything specifically that that, that was the inspiration for the Lone Ranger. Um, part of my research was when Stryker died in the early 60s, his, his estate left all his papers to the University of Buffalo. And I'm an alumni, and so I was able to get into their special collections, and go through. There's probably 24, 30 cases worth of stuff, um, the scripts, the telegrams back and forth, uh, memorabilia, his typewriter. Uh, in fact, I had wow. a friend who, when she was an undergrad, her her student job, her work study job, was in the library, and they had Striker's. Typewriter on display back then in the '70s, and she was an aspiring writer back then. And she would walk by and rub it for luck, hoping some of that creative mojo would would uh, you know seep into her fingertips.
0: Interesting.
2: Um, yeah, so <laughs> it was that- fun.
0: It was- do you type on a typewriter or you're, I, I would think, I'm just assuming you're a computer guy like everybody else, but there, I've uh, and lately talked to authors who write out longhand, uh, two last week, both write out their novels yeah. in longhand and then type them. Have you done the, because there's yeah, something a, romantic about that. Yeah, <laughs>
2: I've got a few, few old type, typewriters around the house that, um, you know, we grew up with as kids, uh, but I don't use them anymore. I use the laptop, but uh, I was just watching an interview with James Elroy, um, you know, LA Confidential, Black yeah. Dahlia, Perfidia. He writes everything out uh, longhand still. Um, a lot of writers think that gives them more control. Uh, me, I, I can't even read my own handwriting anymore, so I gotta type
1: it out,
0: right? Uh, that's it's so interesting, and uh, the John, the idea for the book is interesting, and I understand, I, I have not read it yet, but I understand it's a very fast-paced, almost um, almost a tribute to the old black-and-white Western movies where it was just one uh, tied-to-the-railroad-tracks uh, type of uh, Penelope pit stop after another. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that, was it meant to be an homage to the movies in some way, or, or old, old black-and-white Westerns?
2: A little bit farther back, it meant to be an homage to um, a radio play. So the idea was, let's have Franz Stryker and his best friend, John Barrett. And I don't know if he was really his best friend, but he was the radio actor who played the Lone Ranger for the first time when it was a pilot here in Buffalo. Let's, let's put them in an adventure story. I wanted to write an, an adventure novel about a man who wrote adventure stories. And he wrote radio plays. So the book isn't broken into chapters. It's broken into episodes. And the episodes are all named, like Slattery's Rings and The Gypsy's Curse. And um, the, A Masked Man Appears. I have a a, a musical interlude in the middle. Um, so I tried to make it like a, a radio play starring um, the man who uh, was a prolific radio playwright um, very
0: cool stuff so that was that was my my thinking let me just um because earlier you said he sold the rights for ten dollars and people listening now who have no context probably think ten dollars is ten dollars but in 1932 in the height of the depression the worst part of the depression ten dollars was probably a hundred dollars or more like in today's money right or or it's not as brutal as it seems ten dollars
2: <laughs> yeah well it was worth a lot of money no doubt um, yeah. but you have to remember it Fran wasn't dumb and he wasn't a bad businessman he was supporting his wife his two children and like I said a dozen other family members it was under tremendous financial pressure and they're all dependent on him financially and Trendle, whose nickname was the, the miser of Motown. um, He knew of this and he knew the Ranger was probably going to take off. Um, And so after about a year of it being on the air, Trendle approached Stryker and said, Hey, look, you know, why don't you leave Buffalo, come to Detroit and work for me full time. You know, at that point, Trenda was buying scripts from Lone Ranger scripts from Stryker for $7 an episode. That's okay? So he said, look, come in. I'll, I'll guarantee you have a job during the length of the depression. You don't have to worry about that. You have job security. You'll be making more money than you ever earned to take care of your family. But in return, you have to sell me the rights to Lone Ranger for $10. Wow. <laughs>
1: so,
2: so Stryker was put in a hard position, right? I can take the safe bet and take care of my family. And Stryker never had a big national hit. You know, he was still an unknown. Um, or I could roll the dice on this this series that seemed special. Um, and Stryker took uh, the conservative route. He wasn't a risk taker. And he accepted, he signed the contract. And, of course, the Ranger exploded. And to put it in context, um, Trendle bought it for $10 and 19... Thirty-four, and 20 years later, in 1954, Trendle sold the rights to the Lone Ranger for $3 million. Wow. So it, it, now, that was just the rights that he sold. Think about in that 20-year period, all the Lone Ranger novels that Stryker wrote. All the Lone Ranger comic books that Striker wrote, the um, comic strips in the newspapers, the toys—all that money went to Trendle instead of Striker. Um,
0: yeah, it's a lot of and, money too. You but, talk even that three million dollars in the fifties. Again, we're prorating today. That's probably sure. three hundred million. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, it was a lot yeah, of money.
2: And Strecker, like I said, never complained. He said, "You look, no one held a gun to my head. Uh, I made yeah. a, a decision, a business decision to take care of my family."
0: Different times, different people, man. Because today, yeah. the, the guy would be complaining no matter oh, what he, you're made of. You'd be complaining about. He'd that. be he'd be on Twitter, you know, right now <laughs> right. complaining, you know. Yeah.
2: And Strecker never did. And um, when Trundle started claiming that he created the Lone Ranger his family and friends would ask him, he'd say, Fran, doesn't it bother you? You know, why don't you say something? And he said, you know what? The, the people in the radio business, they know, they know it was me. Um, and then in one interview, an interviewer asked him that, and he said, you know, only God creates. Uh, so he never, he never uh, confronted Trendle about it. He continued working for Trendle at WXYZ until Trendle sold the rights in '54. And so they had a professional relationship. Um, wow! And he, just—he was just a really, a really gracious man. I,
1: is know, what I, I took I away.
0: From lived him. up to the contract he signed. You know that's so rare. I mean, you, you don't see that in any business anymore. Yeah. Where uh, if somebody signs a contract and they perform really well, and and they want to raise immediately and they want to renegotiate con- consistently, and you know, there, there's something to be said for character that that. You know, I'm not sure if that was what you were trying to put J in the book, but yeah, I appreciate him already. I I like him a lot more just from this conversation. Well, uh,
2: one of the one of the things that that Stryker wrote for the uh, Lone Ranger fan club was the uh, Lone Ranger Creed, and it was like the Ten Commandments. This is the way you should behave yeah. like the Lone Ranger. And one of those um, uh, tenets in the Creed is do what's best for the greatest number. And if you think about it, he lived that, right? Because he right. did what was best for his family, um, and and so that creed that he wrote, by all accounts that I've read, uh, is really an extension of of his his own values.
0: Uh, wow! So you know it, what? Good for you for for uh, you know highlighting that. But the question that brings up is. It's his family, you know, does does he have descendants? It sounds like he was a man of family and they probably have some descendants. Are they aware of this book and understand that you've done some good things to uphold his legacy and and highlight his upstanding character?
2: (laughs) Well, he was, um, he lived in Arcade, New York, which is about 45 miles from Buffalo. Um, And he was actually moving back to Buffalo when he got into that car wreck and died. Uh, And he's buried out in Arcade at the family plot. His his sons have all passed. Um, He does have grandchildren and relatives in the Arcade area. And last night at my book launch, uh, a man came up to me after after the talk. And he was the uh, town historian from Arcade and introduced himself. And he had heard about me. He had read some article in the local paper about the book. And he um, and he drove the forty five miles to the launch last night, um, which I was thrilled about. And I said, you know, I reached out to the Arcade New York newspaper. I haven't heard back yet. And he goes, well, I used to work. I used to run that paper when I was younger. He goes, let me see what I can do. So I, I think sooner or later our paths will cross, and I'm looking forward to that and and uh, hearing some first hand anecdotes about about uh very
0: cool stuff now if i may talk about the business aspect of of this because the cover yesteryear and you got the typewriter it definitely uh lets you know that this is a nostalgic type of book about a writer that's what you get from the cover and i'm just judging by a cover now but it, it this book is far more than that it is a a really creative approach to writing a novel and when you work with a publishing company especially a a company that has been around more than a year (laughs) yeah they they are tied to old school ways this is the way we've done it and you don't write a book with episodes you write a book with chapters any of that pushback? any of the uh pushback from the publisher to say you got to have something about the lone ranger on the cover i mean this any of that kind of
2: Well, it's interesting that you you bring up the cover because that was a little bit of a struggle. Um, My my publisher is SFWP. They've been around for, uh, they just had their 25th anniversary this year. So they've been around for a while. Um, They had published my short story, uh, Muscle Cars, my short story collection, Muscle Cars. So I've I've worked with them before. And the director, um, Andrew Gifford, said, you know what? Our, Our creative team is having a little bit of a struggle coming up with something for the cover because the book is historical fiction. It's biographical fiction. It's comic. It's, you know, it's part noir. There's gangsters involved. um, It's magical realism. There's a lot of stuff going on. He goes, do you mind hopping on a a zoom call and, and, and talk it out, which is pretty unusual for someone whose name's not Stephen King. You right, know, yeah. were, you know. So I said, of course, you know, so everybody was on that call. Uh, my editor, the director, the managing director, um, the layout person, the creative person, everybody was on this call. And the way we approached it said, okay, let's make a list. All right. What are all the tropes of the Lone Ranger? The mask, the silver bullets, uh, you know, the horse silver, um, the, the six-shooter gun. So we made a list of those. And so, okay, what are the tropes or from the book or that era? And, you know, an old microphone, you know, the square kind, not the cool kind you got right, now. Yeah. But the old microphones from the 30s, the cathedral radio, the typewriter. Stryker was a, a heavy smoker. He liked um, uh, Lucky Strikes, uh, you know, a pack of Luckies, you know, or, or a pack of cigarettes. I'd rather uh,
0: fight with switch. switch.
2: right (laughs) so we put all these things okay we'll work these in and then um what about colors and i thought it should be a very bright colorful you know fun cover because hey it's the lone ranger it's comic books it's comic strips it's radio and everyone said no 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 no. no. let's make it dark let's emphasize the noir stuff and so the compromise was the coloring would be dark but the font would be more cartoonish. It's kind of a tip to the hat. Um, so we agreed on that. And then the artists went away and they came back. And after a couple minor suggestions, um, the cover is what you see. And I was really pleased with what, what the final product was. Uh, I, I, like, was I, I, I was pleased like that I was included in it.
0: The cover yeah. appeals to me, but it says it says author it more than it says anything about the Lone Ranger.
2: Yeah, uh, it does. All
0: time author, like uh, you know, uh, you know the guy you see in black and white films sitting behind a typewriter and <laughs> exactly, <laughs> film yeah. noir yep. type of stuff. Exactly. Yeah, yep. I get that. So, but I, I would think. Cause I know our publishing companies are, they like music publishers and they're like uh film, you know, where do you, where do you get off taking chances? Uh, <laughs> we don't, we don't like chances. We want to put you in a box. And also the fact that you are, you touch on so many different genres that it might fall into. They like to put you in a box. They want to, they want it to be McDonald's hamburgers. To everybody at the same, every time people know how to identify it quickly, uh, and they think that's that's what works for business. And maybe they're right. But it, it's not it's stifling artistically. So I would have thought you'd get some pushback by, by that. But. Well, you know,
2: it's one of the nicer things about uh, working with the smaller press is that they give you that that freedom and they're more open to um, really creative things that appeal to them. Um, and I was lucky that, that uh, the folks at SFWP happened to to, to really like this book. Right. Um, so yeah, I was very fortunate uh, to to have them pick it up. I think, and and there wasn't any pushback about any of the, the weird stuff I did in, in, in this book. Um,
0: uh, so
2: that was that was really that, yeah, was, that, that was really a, a blessing.
0: Good for them. Now, a couple of things before I let you go, because this is intriguing to me. Now, the launch party you had last night for it, um, what kind of audience, were you able to kind of uh, get an idea of the audience demographic that this is going to because i'm an old man and uh, i this book appeals to me and but i'm not the i'm not the juicy people don't look at it like oh that's the guy we want to sell to and when they're when they're doing marketing or anything like that i mean it's just who who is the uh, going to be more uh, attracted to this book
2: yeah i didn't i don't think of it in terms of age um or or, or gender really it was mostly thinking that the folks who like historical novels I think would would like this book Um, specifically the folks that like um, the 1930s that era the depression era Um, there's not a whole lot being written right now about that time it doesn't seem Um, and, and, and that's the era that really appeal appeals to me the 30s and 40s I think primarily because my parents grew up during that generation and I grew up listening to their stories especially my father's stories of 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 buffalo during that time and a lot of his my dad's stories made its way into to yesteryear um the, jimmy slattery is a, a was a boxing champion from south buffalo um who by this time his career was pretty much on almost over he had he was an alcoholic and you know they were they called him the next jack dempsey and he did win the light heavyweight champion um but he did not hold on to it um He's in the book uh, because he used to come in my grandfather's restaurant um, and my dad tried to throw him out one day because he was drunk and bothering the waitresses. Um, <laughs> another boxer would come in my dad's restaurant who was also a, a drunk an alcoholic and he had a diamond um, pinky ring and he would give it to my father to hold because he said my dad was the only honest man on Genesee street and wow. he would hold his diamond ring so he wouldn't lose it while he was on a bender and then he'd come back and, and, and get the ring. So in my book, I kind of combine those two stories, and it's Slattery that gives um, Fran Stryker the rings to hold because he feels uh, a bender coming on. And of course, Stryker loses him right away, and that's when the caper begins of getting back the stolen rings. Um, so a lot of my dad's stories of growing up in Buffalo um, made it into this book, right. which is kind of fun,
0: too. And you uh, mentioned the uh, gangsters. Uh, Magadino? Uh, is is uh, is also part of it? I mean, most people, if they're not familiar with uh, mafioso uh, yeah. type lore, probably don't know that name, but I do because it's part of my upbringing. <laughs> so,
2: but well, he ran he ran the mob for decades here in Buffalo and right. never went to never went to jail. And he was a funeral parlor owner. He was a mortician. He owned oh. a couple of funeral parlors, and his nickname was the Undertaker and um he had a crematorium in the basement of his uh funeral parlor and one of the stories saying the joke was that the only thing working during the depression in buffalo was the undertaker's crematorium because that's where all his enemies would end up (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah
2: I don't know if Stryker ever crossed paths with the mafia. Probably not, right? Was really slattery, for that matter. But yeah. it, they all lived in Buffalo at the same time. So, what the hell? Let's put yeah. them. Let's make them characters in this novel. Very and cool so, stuff.
0: You yeah, know, so, I, I hate to put this kind of pressure on you, okay. <laughs> but. This book, well, let's, uh, before we even get to that part, uh, and save that idea for later. Uh, and I promise I won't keep you forever, but uh, I'm interested in because audio audiobook. Now, I, I talk to people about this all the time. I prefer to read, uh, but big, the audience for audiobooks is so big now. People love audiobooks. There is a chance to do something super creative on the audiobook side of this to make it really come to life in terms of all time radio stuff. Have you thought about that? Are you, is that in the works or, or are you taking that? Kind of- I, I think about that every day. <laughs>
2: Um, and and I, I have a, a an agent that that handles secondary rights, uh, you know, TV, movies, audio. Um, so hopefully she is watching.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and, Unfortunately, and, uh,
0: the only only stumbling thing is it's going to be more. It would be more expensive than a typical audiobook where you get one narrator. You'd have to really uh, audition people to read roles and stuff like that, just like su- an old time radio show. It'd be super cool. It would oh, be super cool to
2: do something like that.
0: Right right the, now so here's pro- hoping fingers the, crossed uh, yeah no i'm hoping for it too because i want to hear it I, yeah. I mean i'm not a big audiobook fan but th- that audiobook is one i would buy in a minute yeah. uh, you wouldn't even have to do a sales pitch at all i'd be i'd be pre-ordering <laughs> it right now all so right if she's listening uh i'm i'll, I'll pre-order 100 copies you, there you go you now the pressure part because okay. it it's, it takes that one step further. This book belongs in a Coen Brothers movie. Uh, it has everything the Coen Brothers do. It, it, it's except not a screenplay yet. That's the only bo- or, so the, the pressure part is how do you get this to somebody? Because like, every you no, know, I've talked to fifteen hundred authors, and they all will. Oh yeah, sure, I'd love to see it a movie. Made a movie. That's a pipe dream. This one is made is written to be i don't know if you did that with intent but it comes out like um you know it's tailor-made for the cohen brothers to get this book in their hands and say read this well Uh,
2: i didn't i didn't think of the movies or anything like that while i was writing the book um but when it came came time to come up with a a marketing strategy um you had mentioned the top of the show that the schedule that i've been doing since january 5th uh, that was my first interview. Um, we decided to start really promoting the book 10 months out rather than the usual four to six months out in the hopes that, you know, create buzz, get attention, um, get a lot of media hits uh, to help our my agent go in and sell something like this to the movies or the Netflix or whoever would like to buy. So I was really working hard. Um, and then the writers strike it the strike, so everything came to a screaming halt, so uh, hopefully all that hard work you know the beginning part of the year isn 't lost, and we can still leverage that and 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 you know who knows maybe lightning will strike, and somebody will pick up the rights
0: well, I am uh nothing if not a supporter of the people who i have on my program and i'm also a bit of a pit bull when it comes to you know sending stuff out and and so i am definitely going to be be pushing this idea because it sounds like i have something that's i love all-time radio it it, it yep. is one of my passions this uh store i love the lone ranger i love old westerns the book is something that I, you know, I want to see made into a movie. I haven't even read the book yet, but I know <laughs> I know enough about the book that I'm excited about reading the book. But I'm also excited about the next steps. And again, the audio there's so much opportunity to do something that is not the typical audio book that everybody yeah. else does. So uh, I can I'm say it was good.
2: a fun book to research. It was a fun book to write, and I'm really the book's only been out a day and a half. Um, I'm hoping it's a people think it's a fun book to read because I, I had I actually had a blast doing
0: it. Right. Uh, now, last things I want to touch on before you go: uh, the Buffalo Connection here. Now, uh, I noticed in uh, I don't know where I read this, but uh, people who you were inspired by authors you were, uh, Kinsella and Field of Dreams type of thing, but also the Natural. Uh, who wrote? The, I forget who wrote the Natural, but uh, that's a Not Buffalo. Now. That was filmed in Buffalo. Is that part of (laughs)
2: uh, it? It was. It it was. Uh, Robert Redford starred in it, and uh, it was filmed around down. I was in – I must have been either a senior in high school or or early days of college because I was working at my dad's liquor store, and almost closing one night, and this guy comes in, and he he wanted uh, three or four cases of New York State wine, but they had to have a real cork um and my my dad you know he was this, this old greek guy uh what the hell for you know what 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 are you doing what do you want that for and it turned out that they he was buying champagne for the locker room scene in the natural
1: wow. and so we
2: sold him some new york steak champagne uh, like I said, three or four cases. And if you go back and watch the movie, there's only one bottle of champagne and the whole thing and the locker room scene. Um, but they bought four cases. So that might made my dad happy. And that was my contribution to the movie, being right. an 18 year old kid and ringing it up on the register for him. Oh, um, uh, yeah carried it out to the car for him too
0: were you a big um, baseball fan because uh, i mean the two of the the influences are are classic baseball stories uh yeah. it seems like they must be up there
2: <laughs> I, I love those novels um love the movies that were based off of them and when i started writing yesteryear i, I already had written muscle cars a short story collection and rook Uh, which was based on a a bank robber from here in Buffalo. And I I felt like I wanted to do something bigger, you know, just something bigger, funnier. Um, And I thought of those two books and they're both baseball novels, like you pointed out. And so my mantra writing the book was swing for the fences with this one, you know, no care, no joke is off limits. No brush stroke could be too broad. You want Roosevelt in town, put them in there. You want the mobsters to come in the mafia, bring them in too. And you know, if it doesn't work, you know, we'll 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 fix
0: it. Um, That's what I mean so- about being Cohen brothers, perfect. I mean cuz that's where the Coen Brothers would come in. They would they would take all these uh, historically based facts, like you know, "Oh brother, where art thou?" Where there's yeah. so much in there, and you can't tell where fiction starts and nonfiction, uh, you know, ends and all that kind of stuff. I love that, and they love that too. So I'm 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 not kidding, man. I will I will be sending this to people and telling people. All right, I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I ordered the book and we'll have, we'll have it soon, and I look forward to reading it. And I wish you the best of luck with it. Thank you so uh, much. Yeah, There's the an actor from Buffalo who's I can't William, remember his name. Uh, he's, William uh, Fichtner. Yeah, Fichtner yeah yeah, he's been on the program he's a, he's kind of a friend of a friend and has been on the program a couple of times but yeah we talked about the buffalo because he's from down here on long island went yeah. up to buffalo and lived his life up there and, and he, but he's yep. has long island roots at farmingdale roots and buffalo roots and we talked yeah about he's that. always in town um so i haven't crossed paths with him yet but um maybe
2: i'll slip him a a copy of the book when i meet him.
0: (laughs) very cool yeah well i think i'm gonna have him on in a couple of weeks i will definitely mention the book to him and and tell him that that (laughs) you are a uh i don't know a a buffalo stalwart a a a a part of the community that is loyal to the community and inspired by the community and because i know he is too Uh, well it's really
2: what's really cool is they're building a movie studio about 10 minutes from my house here in, in buffalo um And they they a lot of movies get made here because it's cheaper than New York or, you know, Toronto or Vancouver. And there's still a lot of old 19th century and early 20th century architecture that they like to use. And they have access to the lake and the river. Um, So it's really kind of lending itself to to movies and TV. So uh, who knows? Maybe the book will turn into a movie and they'll they'll film it and produce it right here in Buffalo. and, And the city would love that.
0: Bill is an independent movie producer of uh, his own, but I I still I'm I'm thinking Coen Brothers man shoot for the stars like you <laughs> said swing swing of the, swing for the fences here yeah we're
2: we're swinging um, away with
0: this one yeah but I am thank you for uh, knowing his last name because I was having a senior moment there like I know him so <laughs> not not that I know him so well but I know I practiced like with your last name I practiced <laughs> it <laughs> and then I couldn't think of it but I had an author on uh, Mary O'Donnell who, who was also from buffalo and she took pride in bill Fickner being uh, a buffalo yeah, resident, sure. like it's part of the <laughs> pride of buffalo so absolutely that's why i wanted to mention too. It. anyway it's been great having you i love uh love the story i can't wait to get the book and i will be uh a an evangelist for it and i uh, appreciate uh, that i just want to mention again that uh because i don't know if i even said this the website is sg you know yeah you know iwanu I- I- iwanu i'm sorry about that sg iwanu it spelling might be a little difficult for people but it the link is in the description for you so you can go there and order the book today uh steven thank you for, for oh thank you so much it was a lot of fun good luck and uh Thanks, i hope you take some rest after all these podcast interviews <laughs> yeah easy.
2: there's there's no more rest <laughs>
0: okay all right have a good night and thank you for coming in best oh, of luck thank to you. you bye for that uh steve whoa he's back uh steven g Iwanu, folks uh man i had practiced that too and then uh, you know having a conversation is all it took to bounce that out of my head anyway book sounds fascinating if you like me i'm sure you're gonna love it order it order it that's all i'm gonna tell you and uh if you know any connections to uh the cohen brothers to help me get this to them Help me send it my way. Info at minddogtv.com, info at minddogtv.com. You think Iwanu is a tough name to pronounce. Tomorrow morning, I have two comedians on, and I can't pronounce either their first names or last names. So it's going to be really uh, embarrassingly. And unlike uh, the evening program, I don't get to talk to the guests before uh, they come on to actually hear them pronounce their name. So I'm gonna have my foot in my mouth well, pretty much pretty regularly tomorrow morning. Anyway, I hope you join me then uh, and let me know what you thought about tonight's program. So that's the show for tonight. Join me at 9 a.m. for Coffee with the Dog. Till then, I'm Matt Nepple for the Michael TV podcast. Don't forget to turn on your radio button
1: now.